So my wife uh, did have to give up Hamilton, but the good news is I have two tickets for men in tutus um, <laughs> that I'm going to take her to when I get back in town. I love that. That was so cool. So what I wanted to do, this is, this is more unplugged, and there's not an official presentation. I, I do want to get to a lot of the questions, if you have those, and turn those in. But before we do that, um, I just want to tell you how much I have loved being with you guys here. Like this, this is a very unique thing for me. I normally am speaking at like a business function or a writer's conference or sometimes um, churches and different venues, but I've never been able to do something with the whole family involved and to have husbands and wives and moms and dads here and and then get to even talk to a lot of the KCs, like that's been such a gift. So I have loved and am loving this time with you guys and, and what we're getting to do together. So thank you for being here and like playing all out with your heart and being so focused on this. Um, what I wanted to talk to you about tonight is a couple of just things that I have found very helpful in walking with God on. And so... Um, you don't need to take notes or anything, but it's just some things, hopefully, that will be easy to remember. And one of those things is the whole concept of open and closed doors. And in our lives, you know, it's, it's easy to think sometimes, okay, well, there's an opportunity before me, a new job opportunity. Um, kids are applying to colleges and we're waiting to hear back. Or whatever the situation may be, this thought of, okay, well, there's three resumes out, or there's three opportunities before me, and I guess we'll see what God is going to do. And so one comes back yes, two come back no. And it's amazing how often we'll assume, well, this door opened, so this is what I need to walk through. And these two doors didn't open, or the answer was not yes, so that was God closing those doors. Do you know what I'm talking about in terms of those kind of situations? And what I have seen God just do lately is just this whole thought of don't look to the open or closed doors, look to me. Because here's the thing, the enemy knows how to open and close doors as well, and it's pretty good at that. And so sometimes when one door opens, say it's a job opportunity, and you're hoping for three companies, and any, any one of the three would be good, and one of them says, yes, we'd love for you to come join us. Well, the only problem is, God may not have opened that door. God may actually be saying, I want to train you how to open a closed door. So the door that was closed, door number two, I actually, as a son or daughter, want to show you how to persist and open a closed door. And so that's what I'd like you to do. Don't say yes to the door that opened. Don't walk through that. It's, it's a matter of instead of looking at the doors, watching God. And everything about our lives, as you can probably tell, the theme of what I'm talking to you about is intimacy with God. So when opportunities come, it's tempting to assume if you're, if you're just saying, God, whatever you want, just let happen, and then something happens, and it's like, okay, I guess I'm supposed to walk through that, instead to go, okay, God, we're going to do this together. And so when a door opens, I'm going to ask you before I walk through it. Maybe I shouldn't walk through that. 
So many people have gotten into situations and jobs and, and marriages and other things in their life because they just assume if somebody offers something or asks something and extends an invitation that the response is yes. And so many times, I think God's saying, you didn't even ask. Like, ask me. Because I may want to be training you for something better. And that closed door, I'll show you how to open if you'll do it with me. So it's just a different thought when it comes to this whole concept of what's, what's an open door? When should you say yes? When should you say no? I don't know. There's no formula. But ask God and see what he says rather than making assumptions. Because then on the backside, we can find ourselves in situations that are disasters, are not good at all, and think, God, how did you let me get into this? And the answer is, well, God wasn't really wanting you to go through that door maybe in the first place. Or he was wanting you to persist on this door that was closed because six months later that door was going to open if we would have been patient. So that's just a thought when it comes to those kind of opportunities that affect us in big ways. And it's a great thing to teach our kids too is, you know, the first person that asks them to a dance may not be the best person for them to go with. The first college that says, we'd love to have your son or daughter may not be the college at all they should be at. So I don't know. We don't know until we ask God. The other thing is just the concept of a balanced life. And I, I go to a gym, and the name of the gym is Lifetime, and all of their posters throughout the gym say, you can do it all in your lifetime. Like that's their theme, that's their slogan. You can do it all in your lifetime. And every time I see that, I just laugh and go, no, you can't. Like, we cannot do it all in our lifetime. And the concept of a balanced life, I think, is just a lie that gets us on these rabbit trails and exhausts us. So you can rise up in a company and become the head of the company if you want to work 60, 70, 80 hours a week, no vacation. You can have the best marriage in the world if you want to invest in that. You can work out twice a day and be one of the most fit people you know. You can learn to play any instrument you want if you want to spend hours a day at it. And you can be a really great parent if you want to spend a lot of time with each kid individually pouring into them and helping guide and nurture them. But you can't do all of those things I just listed. We can't do it all. And I think what God invites us into is a wildly unbalanced life. A completely unbalanced life. In other words, live for what matters most. Give your best to that. And let the other things be just okay. That sounds kind of disruptive. But I think it's the only way to live a life that really will matter in the end. When I was speaking uh, about two years ago, while I was at the conference, I get this email. And the email is from my, where I live, the Homeowners Association. And the Homeowners Association sent me a letter and said, basically, your yard looks terrible. <laughs> your grass is dying. You're not watering it enough. The landscaping is not weeded properly, 
and you've got like X weeks to get your yard in shape. It was really embarrassing to me because, I mean, in college, I was a yard guy. I went around and did 20 yards a week, and I love being outside, and I love doing yard work, and I, I know how to keep up a yard and make it look really good. But I can't speak every few weeks and be out every day in the yard and coach my son's basketball team and have a full-time job and, and, and. And so the yard took a low priority, and that's okay. Like, my yard's a little better now. They didn't kick me out of the neighborhood. Like, I, I, I brought my better game to that. But, but the point is, we have to be able to say, I'm going to live an unbalanced life for what matters the most. So my question to you is, what, what in your life are the two or three things that matter the most? And what are the things that you're willing to let be a B or a C effort? Maybe a D effort in your life. My yard gets a C effort now. My car's not washed. I have a truck. It's, it's not washed every week. It's not, you know, the cleanest truck. Um, there's things that I have said, in the end, I'm not really going to regret not doing these things, but I would regret if I missed these things. So I think as we live a life with God, he calls us to live wildly unbalanced, take the narrow road, and we have to name what those things are at some point. And you know, every magazine cover that I see, like in the grocery store and things, how to have a balanced life, how to do it all. You can do it all, and we can't. So it's important to just come to peace at that, because otherwise, every day feels like we failed in some ways. Every day feels like we didn't quite get enough done. So what are your two or three? I would say find those and pour 95% of your effort into it, and then just leave enough time for the rest to get by. Because really, that's all there is time for. And the third thing I just wanted to mention to you is, um, I think something that can sometimes confuse or sidetrack us is this thought of, I want to be in the will of God. That saying. Which, of course, we want to be in the will of God. But here's the deal. What we want more, I think, is we just want to do life with God. If you do life with God, you don't have to worry about if you're in the will of God. It's like if your son or daughter is with you on a road trip, your son or daughter doesn't have to keep tugging on your sleeve going, are, are we okay? Are we good? Are we, is everything okay with us? Am I, like, are we still okay? You're okay. You're with me. You're with the Father. We're good. And so it takes this vagueness and this kind of fear and complexity out of the equation. If you're walking with God, you're in the will of God. There's no mystery. There's no formula. There's no red line that you're going to cross and all of a sudden step off and out of the will of God and then back into the will and then back out of the will of God. Yes, we will fall and we will mess up and we will sin. And he's a good father. And so maybe when you're thinking about things, rather than am I in or out of the will of God, a better question is just, have I spent any time in intimacy with God today? Do I hunger for that? 
because he hungers for our hearts the most. Relationship, knowing God, always trumps knowing about God. You know, Jesus has that kind of terrifying comment he makes of um, talking about in the end time saying, you know, there's going to be some people that come up to me, and I'm going to, basically he says, I'm going to say, I never knew you. You cast out demons, you preached, you said all the right things, and I never knew you. We didn't know each other. That will never happen if you're walking with God. So that's, I think that's the goal. It's so much simpler. It's so much easier. There's no mystery if you're, if you're pursuing and hungry for God and you're waking up expectant and asking him what he has for you, you're walking with God. Now, he'll invite you into a lot from there, but I think that's a good starting point. So I wanna, how about I go through some of the questions? This one says, who is the greatest hero you know, real or fiction? That's a cool question. I grew up um, reading comic books, and I loved Superman growing up. Like, and it was a way to see the heroic. Uh, I didn't have a father who really knew how to speak masculinity into me, so he was a very kind man, loved being a dad, but didn't know how to raise up a boy into manhood. And so he was a very kind man, but... Um, really God started speaking into my heart about the heroic and the mythic through comics at that time. And um, it was cool. You know, he'll use anything. God will get break through into your world in countless creative ways. But that said, like now, I would say, my, you know, to me the heroes are people who... You know, it's, it's the people who are speaking into our world truth that draws us into God. And it's the unseen guys on the street corners, and it's, it's a lot of pastor, Bill Johnson, a pastor at Bethel, like I think he's doing some amazing things. I don't, I don't um, have just one person I lift up, really, but to me it's the people in my life that I can look to that draw me closer to God. And if I can spend time with, like Tim drove me down here, so picked me up at the airport, and we had two and a half hours in a car together. And I'd never met him before, we had never spoken before. And by the time we were here, I was like, this guy's one of my heroes. Because when I'm with him, I feel closer to God. And, and it's through his kindness and love and a lot of you guys are in a group together that meet, you know, weekly and regularly. And, like, to me, heroes aren't the guys on a platform somewhere. It's the guys who, and the women, who, when I speak to them, it makes me love them more because I hunger for God more. And, I mean, probably everybody in this room knows other people in this room that do that for them. So... This said, uh, how did you create the names for the Orphan and Freedom Realms? And what were some, what were some of your other options? <laughs> um, <laughs> well, I mean, 
So when I was trying to think of something, I was really thinking, why do we not live in sonship and daughterhood? And what is a person who doesn't live as a son or daughter? Well, they kind of live as an orphan because in the end of, at the end of the day, they don't do things with God, even though they may know God. And, and so that was just kind of a natural... Um, I've heard other people, when they talk, use like phrases like orphan spirit. And so it just felt like that was the best journey for this character in the novel. Her name's Mia. And I don't know if I've told you all this. It's not in the book, but I name the character Mia because M-I-A is missing in action, her initials. And that's how we are in our stories. A lot of us don't know um, where our story's headed, what God's saying to us. We're just kind of fumbling, doing the best we can. So that was the orphan realm. And the freedom realm, like, how do you describe what you get to step into with God? And, you know, he, he describes his own mission as, I came to set the captives free. He's come to set all of us free. So ultimately, we get to step into freedom with him. Um, and we have that in the new heaven and the new earth. It doesn't just last here. You know, it lasts, it starts here. We have freedom here today. And then we get to experience that through eternity. John Eldridge, um, he wrote a book called All Things New, and that's, that's his new book out right now, and it's about the new heaven and the new earth. And one thing he says is, in the new earth, you know how it talks about in Revelation the wedding feast, right? And so we're all at the banquet. It's the banquet. There's wine. There's food. There's celebration. And one of the things he said that I never thought of was, well, at the wedding feast, who makes the wine? Like, God could just zap it all into being. Here it is. But what if God allows people in the new heaven and the new earth to, to work the vineyards, the people who love that? And the table we're at, well, the, it's the people who love to do woodwork. And the music, who created the violins and who's playing it and who's singing, who's leading the worship, who's the one who cooked the food, who are the chefs? Like, in just this thought in... The new heaven and the new earth, we are active participants doing what we love to do with God, and we have all of eternity. To, to, if you want to know more about art, meet with uh, Michelangelo or Picasso, you know? And if you want to talk about history, well, there's the war generals. And, like, we have all of eternity to step into what we love with God. So it won't be boring. It'll actually be the continuation of who we are here in a healed and holy way. And that, to me, is what the freedom realm, freedom really is. At the, well, I won't tell you that, because if you haven't read the book, I don't want to. But toward the end of the book, I try, to, I try to show what the freedom realm might look like through a bohemian gathering of all of these people who love God and love creativity, and they have this amazing rooftop gathering. And that, that was an attempt to kind of mirror the wedding feast. But what it might look like in our world. Here is a foretaste. So somebody says, talk about this more about the spiritual warfare you mentioned earlier today. Uh, let's see. What does this sentence look like it says, Barb? That last sentence. Barb Deb. Okay. Yeah, so the warfare, um, 
the enemy loves when we don't believe he exists or when we don't take him seriously. And the thing is, whether we take him seriously or not, he's taken his role seriously. So kind of ignoring it or hoping we stay under the radar if we don't engage doesn't work. It's like being on a beach in your bathing suit, but realizing you're at Normandy and there's warfare all around you. And we don't have the option to go, you know what, I'm just here to sun, and I'm going to just sit in this chair and read a book with my umbrella drink. You guys keep fighting. Spiritual warfare is a reality. If it wasn't, why would God create angels? Angels aren't cherubs, they're warriors. Like, they have, when people on earth in the Bible saw an angel, they fell on their face. They the angels were afraid they would worship them because they were so mighty. Why would God create mighty beings with, with swords and ready for battle and war if there was no war? Like if you, were, if you were a writer, why would you write those characters into your book if there was no battle or war? Satan, they say his goal in Scripture is to kill, steal, and destroy. But the cool thing is, Scripture says, if we hold tight to God, stay with God, and resist the enemy, he flees. But that is saying we resist the enemy. So it's not saying, God, please help the enemy go away. God is saying, no, I'm rising, I'm raising sons and daughters, and as you rise up, you tell the enemy to leave. In my name and in my authority, you cast the enemy out. If you're if you're paralyzed with fear, cast fear out. In the name of Jesus. Cast it out. Don't wish it would go away. Don't hope it goes away. Cast it out. If your son or daughter is struggling with something, depression, um, yeah, see, see a counselor. And yes, yeah, seek, seek you know, whatever medical help, but also pray against the depression. Like we get to play an active role in the war we're in, and Scripture tells us to do that. And, and it's a beautiful thing when we start stepping up alongside God in the spiritual warfare that's going on, not hyper-focusing on it, but, but going, it's a reality, and I'm going to protect my family, and I'm going to step into it, and I'm going to pray against whatever's coming against my family. When I go speak, any place where there's going to be breakthrough, there will be spiritual backlash. So my prayer before I leave is to have my family hidden in Christ, to have his fiery love of protection around our home, to have angels at our home, because I'm taking it seriously, because I take this seriously. And, and so it's not a frightening thing, it's just a reality. If we had enemies that were surrounding this camp, we would probably be having guys on the lookout and women on the lookout, and we'd probably be armed. We wouldn't just pretend they weren't there. So that's, that's what I mean by spiritual warfare, is it's taking on the armor of God, and it's taking seriously that we have an enemy. If we, if we don't have an enemy, then the story doesn't really make sense. I mean, why, why did Jesus come? Why did he... Why did he die on the cross? Why does God create angels? Why is it just so we'll be more moral people? You know, we live in a far more epic story than that. And that's why Lord of the Rings and 
Narnia and all of these stories innately appeal to us and our kids because it touches on truths that are deeper than the fantasy or the story that they are on a surface level. Does that make a little sense of at least where I'm coming from on that? And so, yeah, like, it's just to be aware. It's just to be eyes open. And if you're the head of your family, part of your prayer needs to be against the things that are coming against your family. As, as the head of the house, that's your role. And it's not a, and if you're the head of a house and, and you're a single mom, that's your role, you know? And if you're married and you're the, the husband, that's your role. Um, and to teach our children when things happen to be able at a certain age to go, God, I'm praying against whatever's coming against me in the name of Jesus and his authority. And so um, if you want to be free from things, a big way to do that is to cast out whatever's coming against you. So I invite you to do that. I, I used to think the less I thought about spiritual warfare, the more it just would not be an issue for me. And in the ministry I'm in, we've seen a lot of people set free from a lot of stuff, but it, it took praying against what was attacking them and what was coming against their families. And generational curses are a big thing too, by the way. Like things that plague certain families, if you go back in the family line, alcoholism, pornography, physical abuse, um, uh, passivity, it's generational. And until somebody stands up and says, no more, not in my family, this is done, and I'm going to stand against it. Until that happens, that doorway, that pathway continues through those families. And so it's a, it's a beautiful thing when those things get broken. Uh, do you believe, let's see, do you believe that the men in the tutus definitely, definitely exist in the freedom realm? <laughs> I, let me tell you, I, in the freedom realm, I don't think they actually are wearing tutus anymore. I think it's total freedom at that point. <laughs> the last one I have here is, uh, what are some of the tips you have to stop and listen to God when life is going so fast? In theory, it sounds easy, but in reality, it's so freaking hard. I think, yes, it's hard. It's, it is hard. But it's harder to go through life on your own. It's harder to try to do it on your own. It's kind of like, is marriage hard? Is marriage hard? Yeah. Is it worth it? Yeah. But, it's, but if somebody told you marriage, you know, um, marriage is just easy. When you find the right person, it's just easy. It's easy. And when you have kids, it's easy. Like, you'd go, no, it's not, you know, it's not at all easy. And it's such a good heart. It's a heart of pressing in and dying to self and loving others unconditionally. And so when things are getting, heat, they're heating up, they're getting harder in your life, it is hard to pause and listen to God. 
in the midst of everything, but it becomes a way of life that just becomes like breathing. And so like where I work, um, we will, if we're together in a conversation, just in the hallway, a casual conversation, and somebody says, man, I don't, I don't really know what I'm going to do on this thing because I'm facing this hard situation and I'm just kind of at a loss of what I'm going to do. Now, anybody around that person who works for our work would go, all right, well, let's pray right now. And it's a prayer for wisdom, and it's a prayer for hearing the voice of God, and it's listening prayer together. Let's listen. Let's hear what God's saying. You know, and, and, it's, and it's just a natural thing to do. If we're, in a, if, if we're in a director's meeting, well, should we go to this thing in a few months? I don't know. Let's pray. What did you hear? What did you hear? What did you hear? What did you hear? So many ministries, we've all come from different ministries and places that are in the Christian um, work field. So many times, decisions are just simply made on human wisdom. Well, this worked last year. Anybody object to doing it again? All right, we're in. And nobody pauses to say, God, what do you have to say about this? And so in, in your relationship with your kids, with your wife, at work, it's just, you, you don't have to pause like go into a room by yourself or go out into a field of flowers or go out into some imaginary, like, impossible place to find. You can be on the drive home in your garage and then get into your garage and say, okay, I've got 30 seconds before I go in. God, what do you have to say for me about what's going on right now? What is the status of my home when I'm about to enter in? Give me some advanced words. And a lot of times I'll hear God say, that thing you were going to talk about to your wife, don't do it. Not tonight. Don't do it. And, and like, it's, it's kindness, and I don't know what kind of day she's had, but God does. And so he saves, he rescues me from a disaster. And when I get in, I'll realize, thank you, God, that was such good advice. You know? Or other times he'll say, go upstairs and talk to your daughter. You know, like, just a, just a nudge from the Spirit. Like, it's walking with God in hard times, in good times, with, with just this, it's now, like, I don't ever want to go back to just trying to figure it all out. You know, I, I just don't. And I, I don't think you guys do. Like, it's just, it makes us feel like it's all up to us, and it makes it seem just impossible and we hope we're in good graces with God, and we're trying to have a good marriage or good relationship with our kids in our own strength and be a good person, and we just can't do it in our own strength. You can't. Like, you can't. I can't. And so to walk with God in it and go, God, you're going to have to pull this out. I feel terrible tonight, but I feel incompetent. I don't know the answer to the questions, but I'll walk with you in it. So that's just my, if you can take that one step, it changes everything. So I think that's it for this. And um, man, I appreciate you guys so much. Thanks for just being in this journey together. And for those of you who have gotten to meet, it's been so fun to hear some of your story. And if I haven't met you yet, I'd love to say hi before I head out tomorrow. But it's a journey we're on together. And it's the journey of life with God. Thanks. Thank you so much, Alan.